Let's pray. Lord, we need your help this morning. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come and speak through me and that you would rise up in all of our hearts and let us see Jesus today. Thank you, Lord. We declare to ourselves that you're here with us right now. You're always present to us. You're with us. I ask for your help. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So probably about two and a half years ago, Jade and I were living in Ipswich, in a home that we had just recently purchased, and uh, she was pregnant with this beautiful little girl up front here. And so we had, she's our fourth, we have three other children. And so um, she was, you know, pregnant and, you know, dealing with, you know, just kind of all of the stuff that that's doing to your body and whatever. And so I was in charge of the other three kids at night. And sleep has been an interesting dynamic in our home as it is in many homes with small children. And, you know, for most of the kids' lives, like, Jade had pretty much handled, like, a lot of the sleep stuff. I'm just going to confess before you, I was, pretty, I was pretty weak on that front in the early years of our marriage and our kids' lives. And so I just remember this, this stretch of, like, a few months where, like, it felt like every single one of our other kids was waking up in the middle of the night. And so I would just, like, wake up and, like, wander into the bedroom and, like, try to comfort someone, and, you know, and then I'd, like, come back to bed, and then, like, some other kid would be, like, coming into the bedroom and, like, waking me up, and I had just, I had never experienced, you know, that much, like, interruption of my sleep in my life, and so, like, going through that season, um, I just, I just remember this, like, this internal struggle of trying to, like, like, figure out, like, dealing emotionally with, like, where am I going to get rest? You know, like, how am I going to survive, like, this lack of sleep? And, you know, pushing through to try to help the kids and so that Jade can get the sleep that she needs as she's pregnant, okay? Now, we all have different experiences with, with rest. You know, I was, I was talking this week at a, at a race that Jade and I went to with the kids this week, and this dad was telling me all these crazy house projects he was doing to renovate their house and like staying up till 3 a.m. every night. And, um, you know, we, we've all got different experiences. You know, college, you know, if this is like your first semester, maybe you're just like pulling all-nighters all the time and just staying up as late as you want now that your parents are not around, you know? Or maybe it's, you know, towards the end of the semester, you know, you kind of dread those weeks of like pulling, you know, long nights of studying or writing papers or whatever. Maybe you have struggled with insomnia or... You know, sleep has just been a difficult thing for you as you've grown older. You're not, you're, not, you're not sleeping as well as you used to. Our bodies, you know, and our, and our minds, like everything that we are, we, we, we need rest and it's important for us. And so oftentimes, you know, uh, there's this question before us of, you know, where, where can I find the rest that I want? We're going through the book of Hebrews right now. We're in chapter four today. And this book is written to a group of of Jews in the first century who have uh, somehow met Jesus or put their faith in Jesus and now are in a pretty difficult situation. You know, their whole 
world revolved around their Jewish faith, and now that's, that's experienced a major shift for them. And so amidst all of the normal challenges of life, they are now experiencing kind of a new way of, of being and relating to God through this person, Jesus. And then also they're experiencing persecution from fellow Jews who have not decided to follow Jesus as well as the surrounding culture. So there's extreme pressure cooker of, of life. And the author of Hebrews, who's unnamed, is writing to them to encourage them to hold on to Jesus and to not fall back into what they experienced before. And so here's what he writes now in chapter 4 of Hebrews. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said, So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. All right. I'm going to try to help you understand this passage. There's a few things going on here. First, this author is talking about the Israelites in their, in their journey from Egypt out of slavery and then into the promised land eventually 40 years later. Very long journey, okay? So that's the, that's the they that he's talking about. And as we read through this chapter, there's a number of rests that he's going to be referencing. The first one is, as he mentions in this, in this first paragraph, he talks about creation rest. That, so God made the whole world, it says in Genesis chapter 1, and then on the seventh day, he rested from his works. And it was a, a signal of completion, like kind of this, you know, brushing his hands and saying, it's done, it's good, everything's been taken care of, there's provision for the world. There's this like sense of kind of enjoyment as God declares on the sixth day that it's very good. And so that's the creation rest that's being referenced. There's a Sabbath rest. So as Israel comes out of Egypt, God gives them the Ten Commandments, and the fourth commandment is keep the Sabbath day holy. So God says you can work on six days, and on the seventh day, you're supposed to not work at all, okay? And that mirrors what's happening in Genesis 1 with God creating the world in six days and then resting on the seventh day. So there's this Sabbath rest that people, the Jewish people were supposed to take on the seventh day, okay? Then there's another rest. So you can see there's these metaphors that are kind of weaving through this whole thing, and you've got to try to keep them straight. He's now talking about, hey, the Jewish people were supposed to enter this new promised land that God had promised to Abraham, their ancestor, long ago. They come out of Egypt, and they're trying to get into the promised land. And he's talking about that as kind of this, this, this place of rest for them to enter into, this land that it, it says in the Bible is flowing with milk and honey, and they're supposed to experience kind of the goodness and, and, uh, of the land and also freedom from oppression. As they were slaves in Egypt, now God's going to defend them from their enemies on all sides and bring them into this land, okay? All right, there's one more, okay? And this is like this this divine rest that this passage is actually taking these three metaphors to point to this new rest that is to be for the people of God, okay? You with me? All right, I know there's a lot here. 
It's long ago and far away. We're trying to bring it to today. Now, this last rest, there's actually two opinions in, these cha- in this chapter about what this is talking about for us. So the author is saying, hey, there is a rest that remains from the people of God. It mirrors God's rest on the creation day. It mirrors the Sabbath rest. It mirrors this rest in a promised land. But there's a new rest that has come for the people of God because of what Jesus has done. And it's one of two things. It's either number one, you go to heaven when you die. And you experience this eternal bliss in the, in the, in the, in the fullness of the presence of God for eternity. The other option that, that commentators talk about this passage is a rest that you can experience now in this present life through the work of Jesus. Now, both of those are true. You can debate about what this passage is talking about. I'm going to focus on the second one, the latter that I was talking about. As we, we, we talked about this passage last week, but in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Right? Come, take my yoke upon you, learn from me, because I'm, I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus says to his followers that there is a rest available to them in this life now. A rest that creates a peace and a freedom from fear and anxiety in our soul. My daughter got hurt yesterday. Uh, she, I think she fell down or something. And so she... As often is the case, um, to sometimes my wife's chagrin, you know, she wants data. You know, data has somehow become the favorite guy, even though, you know, mom is the mom, you know, and takes care of them, you know, so much more than I do and so much better than I do. But she came to me, you know, when she was hurt. And I can't really do anything to, like, help her with the physical pain that she's experiencing. But what she really wants from dad and what she wanted yesterday in that moment is rest for her soul. Although she would never use that language and I would probably never say that either. But that's what she's wanting, right? Comfort and connection. To know that in her pain, someone is with her. Her dad, right? Or her mom. And guys, that is the rest that Jesus has for us. That kids naturally understand, even in their four-year-old little brains, They know that what I need is someone to be with me in the pain of my life. God doesn't erase all of the pain in this world through what he's done. He will do that eventually. That's in process in this world of God wiping away every tear, right? And removing all pain and suffering and even death from this world. But as we struggle now in this life, what Jesus gives us, the rest for our soul that is available now is that he's with us in our pain. And that we can know and experience his comfort. There's this um, refrain in the New Testament. I believe it appears three times kind of word for word. A couple other times maybe similar. It says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then it says a couple different things after that. But in one of the passages, I believe it's in 
2 Corinthians, it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of all comfort and the Father of mercy. The God that made this universe is characterized as the God of all comfort. And the reason is because he is also Emmanuel, the God who is with us, the one who is beside us, even in our pain, that we can call out to him and know that he is with us. There's this famous, I mean, well-known, I don't know what the right word is, church father named St. Augustine or Augustine, depending on which one you want to pronounce. I think Augustine sounds like you're a little more intellectual. Um, But he has this famous line in this book he wrote called Confessions that says, my soul was restless until it found its rest in thee. And that's really a great explanation of what the Christian journey is about. He lived a kind of a wild life as a young man, just in any way that you can imagine that that, you could do that in the first century, or sorry, fourth century. Um, But nothing would would fill him up. Nothing brought him rest from kind of just the the angst of his young life until he, he had an encounter with God that led him into this lifelong relationship with Jesus. And that was his way of describing with this word of rest and restlessness of what it meant to know Jesus. I remember um, Jade and I used to live right down the street here in Rileside, this Rileside neighborhood. And we sold, we sold that place and didn't really have a place to go to. And so we were in this process of like moving out of there and putting our stuff in a storage pod. And then we, we ended up landing in this, this short-term rental in Essex, um, not far from actually where we now live. And that move was, was challenging. We had a number of people help us. But kind of the last few days, we would be at the house or I would be there like moving stuff out. I remember it was till like, you know, like, like 11, 12, sometimes 1 or whatever, just like late nights. And, you know, that's, that happens, Right. But the challenge was on the, the other end because, I don't know, for those of you that were here, we were doing early, I was doing early morning prayer four days a week at, at um, I think we started at 5.30 uh, just down the street at another church. And so I was having to get up like in the fours, which is not easy, right, Melanie? And so I just remember like, it was like this extended period of just like very little sleep. But it's funny, like, what I, one of the things that I realized in that was kind of how far I could push myself in some ways, but also like the encouragement of our soul is actually like way more important than like the physical sleep. Because when I, when I had the encouragement like of, you know, of the vision or the, the hope of like getting up to pray with other people and like what God was doing in that season, it keeps, it's, that's what really keeps us going right? It's, it's that hope. It's that comfort. It's that, it's that knowing that God is with us above and beyond the physical rest that's in our lives. Now, for some of you, uh, this season of COVID and everything else that's surrounded it has been uh, a very anxious season. There's fear about, you know, catching the virus. There's anxiety about, you know, kind of the racial tension in our culture. There's all the political stuff that went on with the election. I mean, there's so many things that those of us that struggle with anxiety or fear 
uh, this has probably been a really challenging season. And what Jesus wants you to know is that he, he, he wants, his will for us is to live an anxiety-free life. Like literally, a life without fear. He tells us, be anxious for nothing or, or, or do not be anxious. And guys, that's a picture of a piece of what it, the rest is that Jesus has for us in this life. All right, let's keep reading. Therefore, since it still remains, this is verse 6, therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, he's the leader that took them into the promised land, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. This passage keeps talking about this day today, which is interesting. The, the, the thought that I have about that is, you know, he's referencing today, if you hear God's voice, do not harden your heart. And he's talking about this also being a new day. Like there was this old rest that didn't really meet the thing that they needed in their souls. And Joshua brought the Israelites into the promised land, but it didn't really, it, didn't, it wasn't the, the final fulfillment of what people needed. Guys, the resurrection of Jesus, that's the today. And that actually is as real today as the day that it happened. The resurrection of Jesus is as real today as the day that it happened. And what that means is that Jesus is alive today. That today is the day that he is calling out to your heart to rest in him, to trust in him. Jesus is as alive today as he was when he popped out of the tomb way back 2,000 years ago, which means that he's still here with us now, that the, that the reality of his presence and his witness for you is real now. And that is what brings rest for our souls into our lives. It's knowing that Jesus is with us. It's putting our trust that God is there, that Jesus is alive. And it makes this really funny statement in this passage. So he says, it's somehow it's not automatic that everyone in the world has now not experienced the reality of the resurrection of Jesus and that knowing every moment of their lives that God is with them. Right? Just put my hand up and say, hey, I'm on a journey too. That a lot of my life, I'm not aware that God is with me and I don't believe that he's with me and I'm mad at him because it feels like he's not there. When I'm in pain, or when I'm in crisis, or when I'm confused, or when I'm feeling afraid or anxious. But this passage says this really weird thing. Make every effort to enter that rest. What? Make every effort to, like, take a nap? 
Make every effort to like get a lot of sleep at night? Well, this is an incredible statement about what the Christian life is. It's striving to enter into a place of not striving. Right? The work in the Christian life is getting to a place where we are at peace. Where we sense God's presence more and more. Where the circumstances in our lives don't upend us and we don't, you know, as I would say about my kids, throw a fit, which I do as an adult that it just looks a little different. Anytime we hit a bump in the road, it's the same thing, right? Your kids just make it a little more apparent because they act out in different ways than we do. Last week we had an awesome potluck. Um, and I just, I just was like, Katie and I were a little nervous because we were trying to help organize this and not a lot of people had signed up. But then when people just show up with all the food, you go, oh, it worked. You know, like everybody came, they brought stuff. You know, this is awesome, okay? And, and so there was preparation there that went into the party. Right? There was this work that was done for everyone that was bringing things to go to the store or to prepare something or whatever to bring it to the party, this place of celebration and enjoyment. It's the same thing with the Christian life. We're on this journey where we're working with the Lord to to enter into a place emotionally where we are at peace, where we're not easily unsettled or angered, where the circumstances in life are not always dictating the emotions in 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 our soul, in our heart. So, you know, faith is the beginning of that way of rest. So this is what you have to understand. Jesus says, the work of God is this, to believe in the one that he has sent. The primary work, the primary striving that he's talking about, to to working hard, to entering into this rest, is a work of faith. It's a work of what we believe about God and ourselves and our circumstances. And as Paul says in another place, he says, The only thing that counts is faith which expresses itself in love, in connection, right? With people and God. That's the battle that we're fighting. It's a a fight to believe. It's a fight to renew our mind, to think the way that Jesus thinks. To trust that he's alive and that he's with us regardless of what my emotions are saying in the moment or what I'm feeling. It's a place of saying, hey, the Bible says that I believe it and that settles it and I'm walking forward in that. Now, some to say we can't question things in the Bible or talk about, you know, like how could God, you know, allow evil to exist in the world? Those things can be helpful, right, to talk about. But at some point, we just have to say, hey, I am going to put my trust in Jesus that he is there. And I'm going to move forward in that until I reach and until I get, until I move closer and closer into this place of peace and rest where I experience God's presence. All right, last section here. Verse 14. It says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For if we do not have a high priest who is unable, sorry, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. 
And I just want, like, want to read that again. We have a great high priest who's ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. So let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. We do, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Guys, this is saying that Jesus knows what you're going through because he walked the same road. Right? Of course, your life is different from his, but God became a man. Jesus, this great high priest, the son of God, so that he would know what it was to experience pain and confusion and difficulty, just like you experience. And you know what? In Jesus' life, he overcame. He was tempted in every way that you are, and yet he did not sin, which means there's hope for you. Because if you put your faith in Jesus, he now lives inside of you. And that same power that raised him from the dead is giving life, it says, to your mortal body. The Bible is, is, it says this audacious, how do you say that word? Audacious thing. That in every way that you are tempted, there is a way of escape. Do you believe that today? That you actually, as a follower of Jesus, one in whom the Spirit of God is alive, does not have to sin. That there is a way of escape in any temptation that you face. Man, that is crazy. That I never have to like, I have power over sin. That Jesus has conquered it and now he's within me. That's amazing. And there's a couple things in this passage. I just, I just want to highlight one more thing. God wants to help you. It's talking in this passage about these incredible cosmic things that Jesus has done as this great high priest and the son of God and he's ascended into heaven, all this kind of abstract cosmic stuff. And then it gets right down to what that actually means for you. It means that because of all of that stuff that's mystical and hard to understand about the cross and resurrection and where, you know, sitting on a throne in heaven, it means that he's now able to help you in your time of need. It means that when you are there in pain, that Jesus is with you and he wants you to experience his comfort and to know that he is there. That's what all of that stuff is about. It's about you knowing Jesus is with me. Jesus is with me. Now that takes a process. It takes a journey to go on to get to this place of knowing that God is there. And so he gives us two things in this passage that we're to do. Hold firmly to the faith that we profess. It's saying, hey, I'm going to believe that God is here and I'm going to walk forward in that. And then secondly, it says, approach God's throne with confidence to receive mercy, grace, and help. There's the two ends of that verse I just quoted. The only thing that counts is faith and expresses itself in love, in connection, in moving towards God. Guys, that is how we grow in, in the ability to sense and believe and trust that God is with us when we're hurting. We say, God's here, and so what I'm going to do, I'm going to say, help Jesus. Help. Help Jesus. It's that simple. I'm going to move towards him. I'm going to recognize that he's there. I'm going to believe it, and so I'm going to take a step towards him and trust that he's going to meet me in that place and give me what I need to overcome sin in that moment, to feel his comfort, and to be able to 
to persevere and overcome the, Jesus, the way that Jesus does. Now, I want to say one more thing, and then we'll have the worship team come back up and respond. One way that is really important that we highlighted last week to help each other hold on to Jesus and to move towards him when we are struggling is we need other people to help us do that. The passage that we, talk, we talked about last week says, encourage one another daily as long as it's called today. I talked about this last week a little bit, but I, we just need to keep talking about it. There's a thing that we call discipleship group in our church. And that's a group of like two to four people that are gathering on some kind of regular basis to really connect on a deep level to know and encourage one another that Jesus is with us. And I just want to say, guys, anyone can lead a discipleship group. Anybody out there have a Bible? Anybody have a Bible? Anybody out there know how to read? Great, you got two legs up on a lot of Christians in the world today and throughout the history. Printing press, 1,500. 1,500 years of people following Jesus. Most of them did not have a Bible. Okay? I'm just trying to push you a little bit. Okay? God's given us some grace. Okay? A discipleship group is this simple. Read the Bible together. Just say, hey, let's read the book of Philemon. We'll start easy. Okay? It's one chapter long. Okay? We'll meet in a week and we'll talk about it. Great. You can probably get through that. Okay? And just ask each other some simple questions. Hey, What's going on in your heart this week? What have you been experiencing? Right? Well, I'm frustrated. Oh, I was angry. I was, you know, what's going on today? It's asking a simple question like that that helps you access what God is doing. Because oftentimes, the place where God is working is in the place of our struggle, guys. There's a reason God allows bad stuff in our lives is because that is how he's using that to grow and mature us. And so if you want to know what God is doing in someone's life, it's often, it's, it's almost always connected to the pain points, the struggles in their week that they're having, the negative emotions that they're feeling. That's where God is. That's where he wants to meet them in that place. The first question is always, hey, what are you feeling today? What are the emotions that you've been experiencing this week? The second question is the critical, most critical question in discipleship. And that is this, what is God saying to you? What is God saying to you? Or what is God doing in that circumstance that you're experiencing? Or what are you believing about that? Or as you read the Bible this week, what was God saying or what was leaping off the page to help you in that place of struggle? It's all the same question. It's redirecting us. It's not allowing our emotions to rule our lives. It's saying, hey, I'm going to look and see what God has to say about this and lean into him. I'm being honest about what I experience, and then I'm going to God with that. I'm coming to Jesus with that. And then lastly, it's kind of like, okay, well, how are you going to respond? What are you going to do? God is saying this. We're kind of discerning that together. We're affirming, yeah, that sounds like God, or I don't think that's God. That doesn't sound quite right, you know? How are you going to respond this week? You're setting a goal or some kind of action step. If you can ask those questions, you can disciple somebody else. That's all there is to it because, again, Jesus is the Yoda. The Holy Spirit is the Yoda. You don't have to be anybody's Yoda, right? We're helping each other. So if I've been a Christian, I'm, just, I'm not talking about myself, but let's say I've been a Christian for 50 years. I'm 41, so I'm just, you know. That person can be discipled by someone who's been a Christian for a week 
Why? Because they're gathering together with the word of God and the spirit of God in their midst. And they can ask one another questions and try to discern what the Holy Spirit is doing in that person's life. Because all of us have the tendency to drift away from God relationally. And to move towards religious practices or just do things on our own. Right? Everyone needs someone to say, what's Jesus saying? What's Jesus doing? What's God saying in the Bible? What's he been highlighting in your life? What's going on there? Anyone can do that. Now, I'm not trying to dismiss that there's not a place for like mentoring in the Christian faith. There absolutely is. But that's not what I'm talking about here. So I just want to encourage you. Guys, this is probably the most important thing besides you just connecting with Jesus on your own is being a part of a small group of people, two to four, that know what you're experiencing in your life. That is the place of the greatest potential of growth for your life because it forces you to get real and it forces you to engage relationally with someone else and with Jesus, okay? You can start a life group. I mean, sorry, a discipleship group. I'm just challenging you right now. Start a, start a discipleship group. If you can ask three questions and you can read the Bible, you're good to go. You just start thinking about that. All right, let's have the worship team come back up. All right, I want to I give you one question to respond to. Let's stand as these guys are prepping to, uh, to play and to lead us in worship. The one question that I, that I sense we want to end with today is, God, what is keeping me... Sorry. What is keeping me from that place of rest? What is stealing my peace? And God, what do you want to tell me about that? All right, so as we're worshiping Jesus, I just want to encourage you to ask him that question. Um, We've got some prayer team members here, so if you want prayer from somebody else, they'll be in the front. If there's there's anything else that you want prayer for, uh, you can also just stick your hand up right now in this moment, and we'll pray for you or for someone in your life anything that's going on. Is there anybody that just wants prayer at their seat versus coming forward? Anybody? Is a family? All right, right there. Let's get some people around. Mark, anybody else? All right, ask the Lord, what's keeping me from peace today? Thank you, Lord.